All right, let's get started on the journey. Uh, I want to tell you a story tonight. I'm going to read to you in a moment a passage from the book of Ruth. Uh, it's an Old Testament book, right, right at the beginning of the Bible. But Ruth is a very powerful book. It's only four chapters, but it really does explain a lot of what we are today and what we believe today, actually. So going back centuries before, before Jesus is the story of Ruth, and it sort of explains some stuff about what we believe today. Now, Ruth, um, or sorry, uh, there was a lady at that time called Naomi. She was married, and they lived in the nation of Israel, but there was a big uh, drought. They had no food. So she decided to move with her husband to the land of Moab. Now, the land of Moab's not Jewish, so they're moving to a new country to survive, really. So they move to this new country, and she takes her two sons with her, and the two sons end up marrying two Moabite women, or non-Jewish women. One of them was called Ruth. So Naomi and her husband unfortunately went through a really tough time because her husband perished, died on the, on the journey to uh, Moab. And when she got there, after the sons were married, they too passed on. So she lost all the men in her life. She lost the, the, the people who supported her and looked after her and at that time, as it worked. Now, at that point, Ruth and her other sister-in-law, had no husbands, Naomi said, I'm going back to Israel. You two, daughter-in-laws, you choose what you want to do. One of them decided to stay in Moab, and the other one said, I will come back with you to Israel. And I will come back and do whatever it takes to be a part of your world. Well, actually, that meant that this poor Moabite woman uh, called Ruth had to become a, almost a servant, slightly like a slave. She was out working six days a week in the fields, maybe 10, 12 hours a day, be, uh, thrashing, threshing wheat and doing all the work and stuff. And so she had really very little future. She was a slave, really, bought into slavery or taken into slavery. This is not what Naomi wanted for her. And so Ruth, um, she, was, she found this guy called Boaz. And Boaz was a Jewish man who was very wealthy. He met Ruth and he fell in love with Ruth. And he said, I want to purchase Ruth. See, she was a slave. So he purchased her or married her and he rescued her from a terrible life. Now, Naomi and Ruth were now saved from a horrible existence. Something happened in that story that changed everything. Boaz steps in and pays a price so they can live a better life. Now, you'll hear the story in a moment and how it pounds out, but this is what it says in the book of Ruth as they were talking together. The women were talking together, and in Ruth 4.41, it says this, the women who knew Naomi said, praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a king, kinsman redeemer. May he, Boaz, become famous throughout all Israel. See, these people are honouring what Boaz had done. Actually, this book could have been called the book of Naomi, could have been called the book of Boaz, but it's called the book of Ruth because Ruth relates to me and you. See, the word redeemer is a very powerful word. It's a word that is used in the New Testament of everything Jesus did. Jesus was our and is our redeemer. It means, if you'll see on the screen, to, it's the act of purchasing something back that was previously sold. 
The word redemption is a strong Bible New Testament word. And way back in time in the book of Ruth, this word is being demonstrated through the life of Boaz. But this word kinsman is a bit interesting. What does that mean? Kinsman means one, a near relative of another restores the rights and avenges the wrong. It's meaning that it's somebody of your flesh, somebody like you who buys you back and pray, pays a price so you can live in a different way. Now, who does that? That's called Jesus. See, the great kinsman redeemer is Jesus. Now, redeemer, we understand. We, we've heard the word a lot about Jesus. He's, he buys us back. But the idea of kinsman is quite special. And that's what is very interesting to me because Jesus came as a man just like us, as a human just like us. He lived on the earth and lived like us, but was God in the flesh. Some people get, I've had discussions with people say, well, you know, it's great that God redeemed us through Jesus. I get that. But why did he have to come in the flesh? Why couldn't he just be like an alien on a spaceship? with a big sign, and said, here I am, I'm God. Just, just I'm here. Why didn't he just do an angel thing or, or just let everybody know? Why did he come and live with us? Because Ruth demonstrates, the book of Ruth demonstrates the power of a flesh relative buying us back. Not only did he buy us back, but he was one of us who bought us back. And this is why some people get rather, oh, mislaid, I think, by the idea of, well, could Jesus have been God living with us? And if you look at the book of Ruth, Ruth, you understand why? Because he's our kinsman redeemer. He is sitting on the right-hand side of the Father, interceding on our behalf because he understands everything. How about that? A redeemer who understands. Not a redeemer who is distant. Not a redeemer who doesn't know, but a redeemer who understands. He knows our battles, our trials, our tribulations. God in the flesh, Emmanuel, living and residing with us and understanding our lives. You can't get it better than that. I don't know about you, but I find that a fascinating thing. And I want to just spend a moment walking through some scriptures that talk about this redemption and how amazing it is. The first one is in 1 Corinthians 1.30. And it says there, it is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us Wisdom from God. What's wisdom from God? Righteousness, holiness, and redemption. That's it. Those three words. Redemption, brought back. Righteousness, right with God. Holiness, living purely. That's what he has done. That's God's wisdom to us. Righteousness, holiness, and redemption. So redemption isn't just an idea. It is, in fact, wisdom of God. It's the way God has worked it out for us that he would be our kinsman redeemer through Jesus and buy us back. Here's another good passage in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. For you know that it is not with the perishable things such as silver and gold that you were redeemed, but more importantly, from an empty way of life handed down to you through your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish, or defect. Don't you love that word? That you've been redeemed from an empty way of life. That's the story of Ruth. Absolute emptiness. Absolute no purpose. Just threshing wheat, 
doing a job and she was brought back by Boaz so that she could live a new life. And that's what this church is all about. This church is not about form. It's about its content in the sense of what we believe and the expression of what we believe. It's not about its tradition. It's about the person. It's not about an idea. It's about a truth. And the truth is that we have a kinsman redeemer who has taken us from the empty ways of life. Look, that's my story. Some of you would have heard it, but at 17, I became a Christian. And talk about an empty, shallow life. I'd done everything you could possibly do at up to that age. And, you know, if you look at it now, people are more extreme. But in terms of what I was doing, it was extreme. But um, I used to be very good at stealing cars. I'd steal cars all the time. And I, I never got caught stealing cars. My mates got caught stealing cars, but not me. I would steal them and just drive them around. But this is what I did. I always parked them back where I found them in the first place. Now, the gas tank was empty, but they didn't know it had been taken. They just, somebody, somebody took the petrol. And we would just, but my mate, he was, he parked his cars all over the place. He went to jail for three years for this. And I'm, I'm like, mate, you've got to be sensible. You've got to be smart when you do this stuff. And, you know, it just went on and on. I'm not going to go into, that was just, actually, that's just very one of the low, low things. There's a lot more. But you've got stories like that. I'm so grad, grateful that Jesus was prepared to buy me back out of the empty way of living. But he understood everything about where I was at too. That's redemption. That's kinsman redeemer. And that's who we're talking about tonight. Here's another passage, and this is found in Colossians 1. And it says there, And giving joyful thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of His holy people in the kingdom of light. For He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Do you want me to simplify it down to what Ruth was living? She was living in a dark place or a dark kingdom or the kingdom of darkness. And in through redemption, she was brought into a kingdom of light. It's basically how it boils down, by the way, when it comes to the message of our world. It's kingdom of darkness and kingdom of light. And you're either living in one or the, or the other. And the thing that changes all of that is the purchase price that Jesus paid on the cross. That separates the two. If you're not accepting that, then uh, you're just living in a different kingdom. And the bridge between the two is, is, is that redemption or that bringing back by paying the price Jesus paid. Kingdom of darkness, kingdom of light. You might be sitting here tonight and thinking, well, what is the difference here? What is the difference between my life and, and some of the other people's life? Well, one is darkness and one is light. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the light of this world. He meant those things because of another kingdom who was doing something complete. You look at the world today, and my friend, I don't know about you, but it's dark. Now, it's not dark in the sense like dark when you look out the window, but the decisions and the laws and the processes that are taking place, where is that coming from? It can't be a kingdom of light. So it's a kingdom of darkness, and that swap over point is when you receive the name of Jesus into your life. Now, we've talked about redemption. What a wonderful thing. But there's a thing that's got to be added to the idea of redemption that we often don't talk about. And it's this. It's called redemption and lift. Redemption is one thing to be brought back, but to be lifted is another thing. 
See, the message of Jesus isn't a message of, I'll buy you back, then push you down. I'll buy you back and then make your life worse. I'll buy you back and your slavery will be worse. Ruth became a wealthy person after this. She had lift. I want to tell you today, the greatness of God through Jesus is not just redemption. It's a lift that takes place. You get moved to another position. So redemption and lift means actually the act of buying back someone who then through the act is lifted to a higher place socially, financially, emotionally, and spiritually. I think religion does the opposite often. I think what it does is say, this is how you, how you might find God, but it keeps pushing you down all the time. It gets harder and harder to find God. You have to do more and more. You become chained more and more and stuff. But Jesus says, no, you, I'll pay the price and I will lift you into greater places and into new things and new opportunity. Did you watch very carefully? If you don't come to a church like this regularly, maybe you're visiting today. Did you hear that they're having a conference for the younger people under 25, I understand? And they're talking about creativity. They're talking about entrepreneurship. Do you know entrepreneurship means to have a good idea, start up your own company and become wealthy? Well... <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't mean to be awful, but I think that is just the message of Jesus. Not the wealthy, but I mean lifted. That what they're saying here is we don't want our young people to enter into a world and feel they can't. We want to feel they can. We don't want our young people to say, that's not me. We want to say, everything about me is that. We don't want young people saying, oh, the church is holding me. What is the church is releasing you out of it? We don't want them saying, Jesus made life hard. Actually, Jesus lifted me to another level. That's what the message of the church is. And we don't hear it because we've had thousands of years of influence of poverty mindset and being pushed down. And actually this idea, the more pain you suffer, the closer you are to God. The more, listen, I want to help you here. Jesus, our price paid on the cross was all the pain that was needed to satisfy God. Any pain you contribute now has no bearing on God's influence in your life. Not a skerrick. It makes no difference. Why? Because Jesus paid the price. He was the redeemer. He paid the price fully and lift, now lifts us to a new life. Let's have a look at some of the passages that talk about this amazing idea of lift. Here's one here. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 and 6, it says, But because of his great love for us, oh, just because of his great love for us. How many people just get trapped with that one? Does God really love me? <laughs> because of his great love for us, how can you read that flat? It's amazing how people read the Bible flat because of his great love for us. This is, you can't read that flat. Because of his great love, you know, when I read the Bible, I read the Bible a bit strange, but I often read it in the five senses. I ask, what, is, what, is, what do I smell? What do I see? What do I hear? What do I taste? What do I touch? And I look at Scripture that way because the, the Word of God is alive. And this is alive because of his great love for us. God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions or sin. It is by grace you are saved and God has raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in heavenly places. That is a matter of fact. Oh, but I don't feel like it. Well, throw your feelings in the rubbish bin and get on with life. That's the truth. But of course, we live in an age now today where feeling is more true than fact. 
or truth. You know, it's my feelings are most important and I don't feel it. Well, I'm gonna help you here. This is what Jesus said, because, or the Bible says, because of his great love for us, God has seated us in heavenly places. See, that's a way of thinking. It's a positional thing. That I'm not now involved in all the earthly stuff. It's amazing how many things burden us. We have major first world issues, don't we? They're called first world issues because they're really about us. Oh, I'm just so, I'm so weary. I'm, I'm so tired. I'm, it's, life is so hard for me. I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. This is a problem for me. What's your problem? Well, my car wouldn't start on Monday. Really? You've got a car? That's a good start. We have such, man, we get all bound down into this stuff, whereas he has lifted us up above that. Have you noticed when you've got an issue, something you're thinking about a lot, you'll often bodily or physically start looking down. I don't know about you, but I tend to do that. So if I've got a thought I'm playing with, I tend to look down and you, you get consumed. Now you just look on a screen these days, don't you? You just do this all the time and you walk along with your screen. But that's looking down too because there's nothing in the screen of any value, trust me. So we look down, but actually we really should be looking up. We really should be looking to the sky, if you like, blue sky. Uh, Tony Blair, one of our previous prime ministers in the UK, had a, had a team called the Blue Sky Team. And all they did was look up into great possibilities and they would lay them on his desk and say, here's a possibility, here's a possibility. And whatever you think of that, what I th politics, what I think is what a great idea just to have a blue sky thinking, just to think of blue sky. Edward de Bono, a great uh, uh, educator in the world today too, talked about blue hat thinking. He said it's where you take your mind to the possibilities. It's where you believe for bigger things because we're so stuck in the mundane. Jesus never redeemed us to be stuck in the mundane. He redeemed us to lift our sights higher, to greater things, to better things. You are positioned with Him in heavenly places. Oh, but that's about eternity. That's to come in the world. It's rubbish. But when I get there, it'll be all right. No, that is a now moment. That's today's text. That's redemption and lift. Here's another one found in uh, Mark 10. I like this one. This is particularly useful to people like me and others who have maybe made some major moves or decisions about moving somewhere, but it also affects the minor too, decisions. It says there in Mark 10, no one has left homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers, fields, for me or the gospel, watch this, will fail to receive 100 times more in this present age. I love the present age. He doesn't say in heaven. Do you remember those thoughts? You know, say, riches in heaven, brother, meaning there's nothing on earth for you. Make all the costly things, but there's nothing on earth. That's not what Jesus taught. He said, in this age, I will honour your good decisions. When you make a good... Now, I've lived in three countries, and I haven't been booted out of one country. I've just moved to three countries. Okay? I can go back to the others. Right. So, I always thought as you move, like, we, made, we came here about 24 years ago, and we were making the decision to come here, and we had a very good life. We were living well. We had a lovely home, big five-bedroom home, swimming pool, all the works, nice cars. We were doing really well. We'd, our ministry was flourishing and things were going well. We were very careful planners and, and my wife worked hard as well. And then we were starting to wrestle with the idea of moving to Europe. 
And we thought, well, heck, you know, a move to Europe is massive. You've got to sell up everything and pay a heavy price and, and all of that. And you think, well, is, is this a God thing to do? And in the end, yes, we, we came to that point. This is, our, this is our moment to do so. And we moved to Denmark. And we moved up there to work in a Bible college, essentially. But when I got there, we only had my job. Uh, Linda didn't have a job. And it was going to be a struggle. And I remember sitting down with the family. They were teenagers at the time and saying, well, family, we've made this move. It's the right thing to do. But don't think you're going to ever eat in a restaurant again. Don't think we've got money to spend and burn. Don't think, and we're, I was going through all this stuff. But it says in that text, if you make the decision that's right, he will honor it by rewarding you a hundredfold today in this world. Do you know within three months, everything had turned the other way. I think some people are not prepared to make the right decision because they think the cost will mean something has to go out of their life. Jesus taught the opposite. He taught you make the right decision and I'll lift you to another level. Take, for example, just joining team. This church is a team-based phenomena. It's not just driven by two wonderful people. They have teams here. They are amazing teams. I'll tell you right now, if you want to know about how teams work for your secular work, you won't do any harm to yourself by joining a team here because these teams know what they're doing. They, they're highly skilled people. They do really well. I'm amazed at the teams. Have a look at the people who run all the systems, the sound system, all the rest, volunteer teams. And uh, people pay bucks out there in the world to get even somebody just do that. These guys do it and they're in a team. Now, here's the thing. Some people say, well, I'd like to join a team, but the cost is too great. It means I need to sacrifice this and give up that and not do this and do the other thing. Well, I want to tell you, if that's true, what Jesus said, you will be lifted to a new dimension. You'll be lifted to a new place. You'll have new opportunity. New things will open up for you. Don't look at decisions to serve Him as being a downward spiraling thing. They are a lifting thing because right decisions will always lift you. Right? I remember somebody said to me once, um, you know, our pastor in our church, he never, he never speaks on holiness he never speaks on sin. And, uh, and, I, and, and they always look into a dark corner when they do that. He never speaks on sin or holiness. And they look over there and I said, what do you mean? What has your pastor been talking about? Then he said, he's done 10 messages in a row on how to make a good Bible decision. And I said, do you know what that's called when you do that regularly over a period of time, make good Bible decision? It's called righteousness. It's called holiness. How in the world can you miss that? He thought it was something that fell out of the sky when actually perfectly good sound Bible decisions will lift you to a new level and it will lift you to the will of God. Hello? Not keeping up with that one, hey? Okay, here's another one. Lifted for power, Acts 3.6. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. He just walked out of the upper room that received the power of the Holy Spirit, as you know, on the day of Pentecost. And he had something burning in him internally, as Jesus said, would happen. Well, he walks along the road and there's a, there's a lame man who needs money, who wants to take, he's begging. And Peter says, I don't have that stuff. What I have is a power in me that I just got there that I'm happy to share with you and it might just make a difference. And he reaches out and touches this man and the power the anointing, the presence of Jesus through the Holy Spirit changes that man's physical condition and he jumps up 
and he's now completely healed. Did you know you are lifted to power? Did you know you have a power beyond what you know really? We talk about, did you know that Christianity is the only major religion in the world that teaches God dwells in you? No other major, they'll teach you how to find God. They'll teach you what satisfies God. They'll teach you how to behave before God. But Christianity says he lives in you. He's a power living in you. It actually says in Colossians, he's a deposit of power. So you're not even getting the full stuff. You're getting a bit of it. Here's a word I hear a lot of people use, powerlessness. It's amazing how people today talk about, I have, I feel powerless. I'm in my job, I feel powerless. I'm in this situation, I feel powerless. I'm in this relational thing, I feel powerless. I've got this financial problem, I feel powerless. That is not meant to be a biblical word for you and I. No such thing exists because we have been brought back and we have been lifted to power, to the present. We have power through the Holy Spirit to change an environment. We have power to make great decisions. We have power to say the right thing. We have power to control ourselves. Did you know there's a passage in the Bible that's often misunderstood. It says this in the book of Ephesians. Do not be drunk with wine, which is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And some people compare that to the day of Pentecost and say, see, when you get the Holy Spirit, they all look like they were drunk. And that's what happens when you receive the Spirit of God. That's not what Ephesians says. Ephesians is reversing the language and it uses it like this. Do not be drunk with wine, which means you're out of control, but be filled with the Spirit, which can, gives you control back again. Before I became a Christian, I was out of control. When I became a Christian, I was now in control through the power of the Holy Spirit. I am and you are in control through the power of God that dwells within us. We're not out of control. You don't need to be out of control. You have a power that nobody else knows of. It's called the Holy Spirit dwelling in us through the redemptive work of Jesus. I love that fact. I've always lived like that, actually. I've always been that sort of person that's thought to myself, this thing I have in me can affect wherever I go. And whenever I go to atmospheres and stuff I don't like, well, I'm going to change it because there's something in me that just says that's not right. I don't just shy, shy away from it. Well, you know, you know uh, I remember, go, I'll tell you this quick story, but we're in a restaurant with my wife and I were having a very nice restaurant, great food. Uh, the service was excellent, white, crisp, you know, tablecloths, shiny silver. We were loving it, but the music was horrible. And I'm going, this is really bad music. It did, the words were terrible and that depressing and, you know, it didn't fit. And I called the waiter over and said, bro, I don't mean to be rude, but you've got to turn that rubbish off. It has nothing to do with this moment. What do you mean? I said, it's just not nice music. And he goes, that's Adele. And I said, who the flippin' hang is Adele then? I don't really care. It sounds like she's one depressed person with a whole lot of problems and she's put it in song and now we all have to listen to it. I discovered that to be true. I mean, I don't mean to be rude, but why the heck am I listening to that to influence what's in me? I've got power over that. So they switched it off. I was grateful for that. Put on some classical music. Put on some jazz without words. Put on something that changes the out... Yeah, jazz without words. Don't want words. Just something that enlivens us. Anyway, that's a really glib story. But anyway, here's the last one. That's a really bad story, isn't it? Really, would you say dumb? <laughs> you would. She said that's dumb. Okay. We, I got 
two minutes. Are you ready? For tough times. Romans 8, 28. For we know in all things God works for good to them who love God. Wow, that was perfectly timed right there. (laughs) You couldn't get it better, could you? You see, all things work together for good. All things, not some things. Not the good things. Not the things you think God did. All things. Did you know that includes the not very nice things? The bad things? The difficult experience? Here's the lift. The lift is, He will work them together for good. No, that's not possible. It's so bad, nothing good will ever come out of this. I've noticed with that verse, two things have to be done right for the good to come. Here's the first one. Attitude and time. And the time is always determined by the attitude. If your attitude is such that you can't see God working and you're constantly negating His work and you're pushing yourself down, it takes longer time. But if your attitude leans in and you start to work towards what God is wanting to do, the time goes shorter. He lifts you out of those things, doesn't stop you going through them, but it'll work together for good. I didn't understand all of that really until GPS systems came. You know that, you know, Google, G, I love those. Don't you love those? Because my wife used to read the map. Oh, it was horrendous. I don't mean to be rude, but she read it upside down sometimes. We went further the other way than the right way. And now, but she still argues, this is not the way. I said, Google said it is. I'm following Google. I'm sorry. This Google's right. Google Maps know where we're going. And so you put in your destination and where you are, and this thing goes like that, little wheel. Have you seen the little wheel? And it works out how to get there the quickest route. Isn't that amazing? That's sort of like God, isn't it? Hey, here's a scenario in your life that's not good, but I've got a route that you can take, and it'll lead you to the right place. What about this, though? You go down the route and you decide, because the Google map says turn left, you decide to go right. And you say, does the Google map say, you very naughty little person? I am refusing to work with you anymore because I said go left. You've chosen right. This is not acceptable practice because I am Google Maps and I know what to do. So I'm switching myself off. Google Maps, it goes, and it finds another best way. Have you noticed that? That's how God works. He's no different. You, meant to go left. I'm meant to go left. I go right. What does God do in His goodness? He Googles it out again. And you know what? He says again, go straight here and you go left. What is it? Right. That's it. Second time you're out. Three strikes, mate. Done. He says, I'll just fix this I'll fix this again. That's what it means by all things work together for good. Because there's stuff in our lives that take us off track, that don't lead us in the right direction. But He's the great Google Maps of the sky who through grace works it out for you to reach the destination you're meant to be at. Isn't that, I'm going to write a book on that called Google Maps God. That's a great title. Won't be a very big book, it'll just have a Google map in it. That's all. But think about it. You can say, I'm out of God's will now because I, that happened and this happened. And God says, no, no, I'm reconfiguring all the time. I'm finding a way for you to go through. It's called grace. Let me tell you, the greatest message of Jesus is He paid the price. But the rest of it is He's lifting you up. Religion says, I'm going to push you down. Some, some people say, you can't do better. When I became a Christian, I was a builder's labourer. I'd left school at 14 and a half, became a builder's labourer. 
When I became a Christian, suddenly the light went on and I, and I, I remember working on the site and thinking, you can do better than this. And I went out and got another job and it went on and went on and on and on and on and on. Because God is in the business of lifting us up. Father, we thank you for Ruth, the book of Ruth, that hundreds of years before Jesus explains the power of Jesus in our lives and Him buying us back and setting us on the right course. Thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for listening.